Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Rob on, who's a digital marketer. Hi Rob. Hey guys, how are you doing? Good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, really good, thank you. Great stuff. Let's jump straight in then, Rob. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do? Yeah, sure. So uh, I work in digital marketing um, for kind of a company who we help influencers build their own brand effectively. So super interesting, lots of different varied clients from everything from fitness specifically to fashion to really anything and everything. You definitely kind of learn all the different types of businesses that want, people want to build. Um, and my, me specifically, I look after uh, paid social as channels, Google, Spotify, LinkedIn, Snapchat, basically any paid performance channel that means that clients can spend their budget and ultimately they're looking to try and get a return from that money. So that's kind of like a bit of a overview. I think there's lots of different things that go into that. But yeah, hopefully that's, that's a little bit of an introduction to me. So that's quite interesting. You, you obviously work with influencers, you said. They, um, they obviously have, must have something to get them to where they are to be then considered an influencer. Are you there to then take them to the next step? Yeah, 100%. So I think where business and almost life, if you if you want to get a little bit deep into it, has changed is platforms like social media mean that anybody and everybody has a voice. So there's now over 50 million people who count themselves as a content creator. Um, and we live in a creator economy where it used to be your favorite person kind of had a voice on TV now actually through the powers of things like Instagram with obviously millions if not a billion people on the platform are on there everyone has a potential audience and where our current clients are so good at is they create content they give value they build those audiences themselves and then when it comes to selling they have that inbuilt audience we kind of class it as an audience first um, industry um, yeah, so it makes my job really easy because there's immediately people who are interested in their brand, in them. Um, and yeah, basically my job is how do we expand that out of just those people who are already going to buy? And there's lots of different ways that you can do that. But I think all of our current clients, they are just fantastic, fantastic content creators. Um, they work so hard to build those audiences. And I look to be able to leverage and scale that really. I think it's super interesting what's happened over the past sort of um, 10 years with the advent of social media. Um, and now when you go to start a business, you, like you say, you almost go to build the audience first to build up the interest and then you can sell your products or your services to that audience. Definitely. So yeah, there's, there's some marketing jargon called the law of reciprocity. And it's what can you give for free to get something back? So if us two were in a bar, for example, and I wanted you to buy me a drink that night, the best thing I could do for you is buy you a beer first. And then I can pretty much almost guarantee that you'll buy me one back. And it's exactly the same with content creators. It's giving value for free and then selling because you let people into your, into your brand, into your personal life in many cases, and people start to love you and have a massive following off the back of you. I think the creator economy allows people to have a real personal connection. It's not a faceless brand anymore. It's real people who stand for things, who care about things, and many more people can find 
people just like them who align in the same kind of values and things. So I think it's super interesting. And in terms of, yeah, being able to start a business now, I think the best benefit is you used to have to kind of guess who your audience were. Whereas now you can just start putting out content. You can then see who interacts with that content and you get a much better idea of who your audience is. So something we always get is you may have someone who's male in fitness, for example, but actually they may have a heavily female audience on Instagram and it works the converse too. So actually you can start to look into those analytics and then you can form exactly what that business should be off the back of it because you put out the content, you've seen what works and you can perfectly align everything else. It's no longer a product first business. I think it's a content first business. Yeah, such a good point. So for you yourself, how did you get into marketing? Sure. So I think it's something I've always been interested in. I remember kind of back in school in like business A-levels and stuff, having to sell tickets for a fate. And I remember my uh, sixth form teacher literally said I should be going on The Apprentice or something because every day I'd be selling <laughs> a new ticket, kind of just saying another day, another ticket, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> It was always something I was super interested in, always loved seeing those kind of killer ads, whether that's like the Dairy Milk Gorilla or um, seeing great ones from the likes of Dollar Shave Club or Old Spice, like the guy on the horse. Um, yeah. So I always loved that. I think it perfectly combined being creative with elements of psychology. And that really always appealed to me. So when I went to uni, I did business. So business studies, there were elements of marketing within that course. And I always found that those were the most interesting to me, because like I say, I think it pulled out other dimensions, whereas I think other subjects, for example, may be a little bit more refined. So that's kind of how I originally got the interest. Then when I was at uni, I had a placement year. So I did a placement year with Warner Brothers. I'm super lucky to get that. Wow. Honestly, amazing. And uh, I worked there in the marketing and creative services team. So it's really great to see how films get marketed because I think they are unlike almost any other business because you get like a year of hype and a year of warm up. Like if you look at the latest Avengers films, they had effectively 10 years preluding to the, to the final one. So it was super interesting to see kind of marketing and the customer journeys that people go on in film. Um, so when I came back to uni, again, I kind of knew that I wanted to do marketing, started looking at those types of roles and yeah, kind of, kind of fell into a couple of things really. So yeah, I, I started off with a publisher. Um, so learning kind of how content was crafted and created. And then one of the things I would definitely recommend anyone listening to this um, to go do, I got a job with a big agency. So I got a job with Merkle, who are part of Dentsu, mm -hmm. who are one of the world's largest marketing agencies. And I think from there, being able to learn the principles of digital marketing. Um, and actually I didn't do any client work for my first month. So I purely kind of went back to school, did, did some lessons. Um, yeah, and it was a really great chance to kind of learn and understand how, yeah, the professionals do it, I guess. And so after you left university, you sort of dabbled about in different areas of marketing and now you're in digital marketing. How have those sort of different industries within itself um, affected you to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So I think 
what I, I kind of wanted to focus more on digital marketing. My placement and like my time at uni helped do that. I put out some content myself as well. And I just loved being able to see YouTube videos kind of get top up to these top thousands of views, that kind of thing. So it was always super interesting to me to be able to combine the creative and the analytics side. And I think the other thing why I kind of chose paid social as my first um, job, so working in social media ads, was because I loved the fact that nobody had done this for 10 years. Like it was a relatively new thing. Mm. So the opportunity to be able to progress pretty quickly and yeah, learn a lot more, be kind of like a, I'm not going to say a front runner in the industry. I was still pretty junior at the time, but the opportunity was there to do things that other people hadn't done and test things. And I really love that side to marketing. Um, I think it's changed massively. Um, even actually what I would call traditional marketing um, channels like bus sides and TV, even they've become significantly more data-led. And for me, I just saw digital marketing as the real growth opportunity. Um, it's something that people hadn't done much before. It's a chance to be part of something new. So I think in terms of a career, it really, really served me well. But what I would recommend to someone now looking at the industry is now look at what's next in the growth areas. So mm. social media, um, obviously there's different channels that come out and you could become a clubhouse expert or you could become a TikTok expert. Those are still relatively new, but actually there's some, yeah, there's some people who now do have the 10 years of experience. And what's the next thing is that augmented reality is that getting more delved into elements of e-commerce um, so yeah, that would, that would be my advice to anyone is to look at the growth, try loads of different things and see what aligns with yeah, your personality traits and yeah, where, where the growth areas are. I think you, you kind of just answered maybe my next question, but the, so, as you say, this has only really been around for sort of maybe 10 years, you know, this world of social media and digital marketing. And every year it seems to get bigger and bigger and more sort of uh, parts of it become more niche and you get more experts in those niches, even, you know, at the super high level that we do social media at with this podcast, you can see how every single social media and every part of every social media can sometimes it's a whole job in itself and this world's only going to expand right yeah i i think so um i think it's super interesting actually because these platforms go through different life cycles so facebook as kind of like the i know there were ones before it like bebo's and myspaces but facebook became the one that wouldn't really fail overnight right like it's so ingrained in people's day-to-day -day lives mm. that even though you may not personally use it too much anymore, there's still a lot of people that do, and you probably don't realize how much you do. So like you couldn't just delete your Facebook account because all of those apps where you signed in from Facebook, you suddenly wouldn't have your login anymore. Um, you'd forget when your friend's birthday was. If you're having a party, you'd have to go back to sending invitations in the post or something like that. So um, Facebook has kind of had this super interesting life cycle where they went after just pure um, numbers growth. So literally there's, I can't remember what the exact numbers are now, but there's over a billion people on Facebook. It is a huge, huge platform and they will always find new markets to grow, whether that's kind of Asia, um, yeah, somewhere where people aren't uh, on Facebook, they will find a, a way to grow that. Um, like they had a huge, huge growth in 
over 55s a couple of years ago it's actually probably what drove all of the teenagers off facebook because <laughs> they didn't want to be where their granddads and grandmas were but to that point as well i think social media platforms have become a little bit more sophisticated so something like twitter which at one point had the same potential issue they just got loads loads more people on the platform actually they kind of realized and took stock how do we make our new content features for the people who are going to be active because those are the ones that are going to drive the platform and actually instagram is exactly the same instagram is almost tailored to the world of celebrities like little features like um if a celebrity comments on another celebrity's post, it's their comment that goes to the top of those comments. So oh. I can always see blue tick people at the top of comments. Um, and those kind of features show that social media has evolved a little bit. So it will grow, but it won't grow necessarily in pure numbers. It will grow more on time and engagement on the platform. And I think the differences between Instagram and Facebook are really evident of that, I think. Facebook as the parent company of them both have really learned those lessons and they've decided to go after, okay, the more important thing is actually the amount of time that people spend on the platform because ultimately we can serve more ads and make more money. Whereas I think Facebook to an extent, I say it's a lost leader in it. It's obviously not true because it's a multi, multi-million pound company, but they learned the hard way that you can't just go after new user growth because you won't be the popular it thing forever. So that's how I would say it's gonna grow. It's gonna be a fact that people spend more time on it. And I think we're, we're actually at such an interesting moment in life where the average person in the UK spends one hour, 50 minutes on social media every single day. What's the breaking point to that? Because I know I personally find it in my spare time now a little bit like a busman's holiday. Like it's important for me to be able to go on social media. Some of the enjoyment, if I've spent all day kind of on work on it, has gone for me. And I think a lot of people are in that moment where you see people go dark for a week or a month. What happens when social media doesn't fulfill our needs as well as they did? Is it a case that people's time gets taken with a new platform? Or is it actually that, yeah, basically people realize that we need to spend a little bit less time on our mobiles, on social media. So I think there's room still to grow, but I do think it's reaching that point of near saturation. So, yeah, it'd be super interesting to see what the next 10 years look like. It, I think you're very right. It's, it would be really interesting. And it, it, I want to go back a little bit to where you said, these social medias almost change, have like a cycle time where like Snapchat becomes like the big thing for, you know, a year, two years, and then the new platform comes along. And how often for someone in the industry, are you expecting a platform to come up to or not kill the previous platform, but become the new thing like TikTok has recently? Yeah, so it's super interesting. I think the the thing is, is that you will never know because you don't know who's working on something in the background. Um, there's actually a really good book called Instagram No Filter, which I'd highly recommend that you uh, that you read. Like you said, you're super interested in social media. And I think that goes over the story of Instagram. And within that, you get to see kind of Facebook strategy of when they bought them for a billion in 2012, they saw them as the threat. Facebook's policy was they always have to 
kill the thing that may potentially kill Facebook. So in buying them in 2012, they hugely overestimated Instagram's original value, but actually things like the competition authority, which are there to stop um, monopolies, they didn't act on that at the time because they realized that, yeah, basically Instagram was so small at the time, they'd never actually made any money or revenue because they didn't have the ad capacity. So the big platforms will try and stay big. There's definitely elements of that happening on some of the others as well. So Snapchat, for example, I'm not sure if you know, but they have a feature called minis. So you can do things like headspace within Snapchat. And it's beneficial for both sides because headspace gets to go on a multi-million platform um, user base. They also get a younger user base, which they may not otherwise get. And obviously Snapchat have another reason for people to keep coming back to their app. So there will always be someone working on the next social media. I think if you want my personal opinion, how it will change for the next one is that there'll be a privatized network where you have to sign up with your passport. Because I think a lot of the issues that these platforms face now is because they have so many users, they don't want to do these checks to get less users because less users is a threat to advertisers spending big on the platform. But actually, you now see celebrities and stuff consistently calling out racism or some of the hate spam that they get. So whoever can master that, having a nice network where the message is overall positive, I think will be the next big winner in social media. But ultimately it changes. And I think just going from experience of the last 20 years, every three to four years, there tends to be one big one that kind of comes up and smashes it. So the latest is Clubhouse. Before that, it was Twitch. Um, Twitch got bought by Amazon, I think, in 2016 as well. So that really helped accelerate their growth. Um, and then kind of before that, it's a little bit before, but you've had OGs like Snapchat, you've had Twitter, you've had Facebook. So every few years, there will be that new platform that's a disruptor. And now the interesting thing is, are the big platforms too big? Instagram, which developed Instagram stories to kind of protect itself against Snapchat, that largely seems to work. Will their new audio tools be able to stop people going on to Clubhouse? I don't know. Um, history says yes, but there, there will be one platform, I'm sure, that kills it soon. It's interesting you mentioned Twitch because something I wanted to bring up was sort of almost like subscription um, exclusive content, mm-hmm. which for some social medias obviously isn't there because they just want as many. Um, viewers as possible and they get revenue through ads going out to as many people as possible whereas others such as twitch you get extra revenue through having individual donations how do you think that will affect social media going forward on different platforms sure so actually super good timing because i read something just before this which i think helps answer the question so 29 percent of kids in america now say that they want to be a content creator which is just crazy. Like back back when we were kids, it was probably a rock star. I've heard since YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's and, and now it's different content creation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's TikToker. It's, yeah. Um, all these kind of things, and I think why it's become such a valuable thing is there are now so many different ways for people to be able to monetize their content, whereas before it used to be kind of only sponsorships and partnerships. Now platforms like Twitch enable the fans to directly donate or 
OnlyFans is a great example of this. So funnily enough, OnlyFans actually started as a thing for content creators to create specific content. Mm. But now, obviously, when you look at the type of people who are on it, it's gone a certain, a certain way that the idea itself was actually completely innocent when it started out. And I think that that will be the main difference that as these platforms find more way to monetize, more and more people can actually genuinely make a living from content creation. And I think you get those personalities who are so like that. They want to share. They want to give people value. They love interacting with their fans. You get some people who slightly more cynically just want to be famous. Um, and now that that is a genuine career path for more and more people, that's how it's going to affect the platforms that more and more people will sign up because they'll find news sources or value sources that are interesting to them. And yeah, the, the content creators will be the people who drive that because ultimately you don't necessarily go on a platform like Facebook or Instagram to see what yeah, someone from work posted. Like It might be part of it, but actually the more driving thing for a lot of people is cool, what are the Kardashians doing? Or what's my favorite rapper doing? Um, and I think, yeah, that, that's where content creation is now changing and evolving these platforms. Having more monetized products gives them more options, gives them more career paths. So we'll see, we'll see an increasing number. I think I mentioned 50 million earlier. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of this decade, that's at 100 million. Wow. Is there room for 100 million content creators? So I think the thing will be is that you will have the ones who absolutely kill it. You'll have your David Dobricks and you have these guys who rack up millions of views. Um, and then a lot of the smaller ones will have to go and have a little bit more of a niche audience. Um, but I think that's fine. I don't think... You, you should be putting out content purely because you like content, not necessarily with the cynical view of it's going to make me loads and loads of money. Um, but people will always have diversified interests. People will always be able to find an audience. So I guess it's up to the people putting out content. How can they make it the best? Um, like having a certain grade of recording equipment and stuff used to be a USP. It's probably not now. So mm. it's genuinely how can you make the content that people can't put down? I guess when you start out as a, as a content creator or you want to start a small business, you don't necessarily need to be making millions, right? Because if you're like a small or medium-sized content creator, there's still the uh, opportunity there to make like, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year. And that's not necessarily like undoable. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I think... It's, it's, a, it's a gradual process, right? So say if I wanted to quit my job tomorrow and become a content creator, it's probably a really bad idea because I don't <laughs> have any content right now and it's going to be a slow struggle to start getting those views. But I think these things grow exponentially. So yeah, once you start getting past the thousand subscriber um, YouTube limit, then that helps bring 10,000. It helps bring 100,000. I think Stephen Bartlett said a really interesting thing, actually. He's kind of like huge in marketing, ex-social chain. He said that his first, I think it was his first 1,000 posts brought him 10,000 followers. His next 1,000 brought him to a million. So wow. 
that's how these things grow as more and more people start talking about you. Is that still the case now? So this is one other thing I will say, as these platforms, and you, you kind of made this point, is there room for that many create content creators? The honest answer is no, not to the same success. So something like an Instagram, because there are these big guys already there, as a new person, you're gonna to struggle to grow as quickly as they did because there was a huge opportunity. That opportunity is significantly less now. So yeah, thing, things aren't quite the same as they used to be, but there is more and more opportunity to be able to grow um, on different platforms, on your likes of TikTok, on your likes of Clubhouse. Those are now at a point where there's not enough content creators for the overall demand of content so i think that will be a huge huge growth area there was um a youtuber i used to watch quite a while ago who's become fairly successful on the platform and on twitch and he actually said that for him he doesn't believe that anyone could really make it as a content creator if they go into that industry with the sole purpose to make money and for a lot of them particularly more of the older school i guess they did it because they enjoyed making content and then just it happened to be eventually they could turn that into a business. Do you feel that's still the case these days? Yeah, so uh, it, is, it is true. I've seen a lot of people who said it, even your likes of KSI have said it, that they did it to enjoy it. And when they stopped enjoying it was when they took their breaks. I think it's so hard to be authentic if you don't like putting out content and enjoying yourself. So that's 100% what I'd recommend. Don't do it with the cynical view of the money and the potential fame and stuff, because the truth is, is that not everyone who does it will be able to make it. And you'll only sign yourself up for unhappiness, I guess, if you do it with the cynical goals. Where I do think it will slightly change is that more people will have an idea of what their end goal could be. Mm. So every time you see someone be super successful, so if it's someone like a Joe Witts, he's kind of like an OG fitness content creator. You now look at him and you look that he has an app, you see that he has a book, you see all of these avenues. I do think more content creators will go in thinking, okay, cool, I'm going to do this for the enjoyment. My goal is though, two years in to release a book, my goal after five years is to do this. So I think we will start seeing little bits more of that. Um, but yeah, you should definitely you should definitely do it because you enjoy it. And I think that's the case for any job really as well. Like you wanna you wanna love what you do at the end of the day. So as a digital marketer, obviously we sort of touched on it before we uh, before we started recording. But it's such a vast subject area now. Um, do you want to kind of break it down into like, I don't know, a few silos and, and what they would involve? Yeah, sure. So I think there's there's lots of different elements. So there's paid performance. So that's effectively where you put money, um, you give it to social media platforms or you give it to Google or whoever the platform owner is. And that money then gets spent by the platforms to go against targeting that you set and run ads to those. So that's a little bit more analytical, but it's got elements of creativity in it as well. You then have more creative roles. So that's where you can look at the ad content. So it may be video editors, it may be um, people who write copy, lots of different elements kind of in the creative roles. You've then got what I'd say is more 
web and techie roles. So you've got people who um, may build websites or do something called uh, CROs, so conversion rate optimization, where they look at people's behaviors on websites and they want to try and grow, yeah, the revenue. And that's little things like changing how big the ba- the shopping basket is. All these little tweaks that you can test end up making a huge, huge difference. Um, and then I'd say the final thing is more pure kind of analytical roles. So it's using data science and coding to build kind of predictive formulas or as we mentioned earlier with some of like the features with Instagram and stuff, like there's really good tech marketers who test these functions that get people to use the platform a little bit more. So I think those are probably the four main elements of everything. Oh, there's also, sorry, there's also organic social where you kind of speak to your current audience um, and that's things like answering DMs or yeah, kind of engaging with your community. So digital marketing is so, so unbelievably vast. Like there is space for everybody, but I think my best advice for someone who wants to go into it is try lots of different things and see which one aligns best with yeah, what you enjoy and what you think you want to do. Mm. And so when a an influencer or a client or a business comes into a, a digital marketing agency, what are some of the first things that you guys look at? Um, is it strategy? Is it, like, you know, where you're going to put your spend? What kind of things do you look at? Sure. So the very first thing that I would do is set up a call with them. So I want to understand how their business works. What's their current revenue? what's their goals, um, what content of theirs has worked so far so that we can basically double down on more, yeah, more of the good stuff. So those kind of first calls tend to be about an hour long and we really try and get a scope of where their business is at and where they want them to go. From there, what I'll do is start devising a plan. So the plan will look at the platforms that we want to put them on, where we recommend their spend to be. So actually, Again, I think one of the things that has almost changed the game, and it certainly changed my personal sales conversion rate, was instead of asking people how much money they want to spend, give them a recommendation and give them a potential future output from their spend, and they'll take it. Mm. Otherwise, if you kind of ask them, they'll always go for lower figures, and you want to try and get them spending as much money as possible because it gives you more opportunity to test things. Um, From there, we'll also outline a targeting structure. So there's tools that you can use to help build targeting. Um, You can look at their previous content, the type of profile that people have engaged with that. You can use tools like Facebook's Audience Insights, where I could say pick men who are 18 to 30 in the UK and interested in fitness, and it will spit back out to me lots of different types of interests and affinities. So I actually had one of these earlier where we found that the fitness audience actually loved engaging with Reese's Pieces content, you know, the uh, (laughs) peanut butter chocolate cups. So it's something you would have never thought of like as an individual when you're doing these targeting plans, but that's where these tools can be super, super useful. Um, And then I'll, I'll also have a look and a think about the types of content that we want to produce. So there's things like a marketing funnel. So just to summarize what this is, Daniel, I'm sure you know, is kind of like a past marketer, but there's marketing theory that says that people tend to take 
six to eight touch points to going from never having heard of a brand to actually wanting to buy from you. So that's how many marketing messages and how many times you need to get your adverts across to get someone ready to buy. So within that, you have almost different stages. So I'm always thinking, okay, cool. What's advert one? How do I purely just hook someone in? So great examples of this are providing free value. If it is an influencer client, get them speaking to camera because people might have a little think about where they recognize them from. And in that 10 to 15 seconds that they're doing that, they're listening to all of the content that they're thinking about, that they're talking about. So that might be like a first ad. And then I'll have a think about, okay, cool. What are all the little steps in between to get someone to convert? And within those marketing funnels, you test so much different creative, you test so much different copy. Um, and yeah, that's what we'll effectively pitch back to our clients will say, here's a strategy for you. What do you think? What did you like? What's also realistic as well, because you have clients who may not be as comfortable with talking on camera, for example, because a lot of their content's more image-based. So we work to those kind of plans. Um, and then I think the most exciting thing about a job in digital marketing is, is you're never right. You're honestly never, never right. Um, the amount of plans I end up ripping up two to four weeks later when I've tested something and it just completely didn't work um, is actually staggering. And I think that's probably the most exciting thing about my role is yeah, yeah, things, things never look the same. You could put two clients' plans to actually be the same, but then when you get going with the content, there's always things that surprise you. So like I have a yoga client, for example, actually converts really, really well with 55 plus even though she's way way younger than that and i think that's that's why digital marketing is interesting you will always find something that you didn't know to start with and you let the audience and the results decide for you you've touched on something quite interesting about this whole this tools you're using to find uh an interest and see what people's interests are related to that now, obviously, this is uh, goes around through using people's data, um, collecting from cookies and that. What sort of um, ethical issues are there in this world of data, um, digital marketing around using people's data um, in this way? For sure. So I have to be careful what I say here because I don't want to say talk myself out of a job. But um, I think... What people don't realize is how much they are being tracked. So if, for example, you see a Facebook or Instagram ad, that those ads have been targeted, not just based on your Instagram or Facebook behavior, they actually track your off-site behavior as well. And there's a number of different ways that they can do that. They, can, they have cookies that can track you across websites. They can look at the exact type of things that you're buying um, and then obviously serve you ads that are relevant. Um, they also can track you in other apps. So where you sign up for Facebook or Instagram through those, they can track you in other apps. They can track you by location devices. So there's all of these different things that come up with the Facebook and Instagram's algorithm. And it's not just those, it's all platforms as well. I kind of have a habit for saying Facebook and Instagram because their model is probably the most sophisticated one. Um, so there's all of these different elements. And I think where legislation will need to catch up is they'll have to see what people are actually happy with so 
there's actually a super interesting thing going on in the marketing world at the minute called um, iOS 14, the iOS 14 update. So it's somewhat screwed over marketers because now people with the latest um, Apple phone or Apple software, they can actually opt out for personalized digital marketing preferences. And what we've seen so far, only about 33% of people opt in. So when that kind of gets full rollout, and yeah, when more people yeah start doing this, it will be it will have a huge huge impact on the data held by the social media platforms. So I think it's it's a super interesting one. But what I will say is that legislation is so so far behind digital marketing and what goes on. So if you saw the Mark Zuckerberg in court thing, um, I'm not sure if you did, but it was yeah. it was so funny where they kind of said. The things about whatsapping black panther and one of the lawyers didn't even understand how facebook made money and was <laughs> why it was a free platform like it, it was honestly madness but yeah. the thing is is it would be incredibly hard to be a good digital marketer and a good lawyer they're different skill sets and to be to understand them both like no nobody's got the time to be able to do both right so Effectively, legislation will always be behind the platforms. And I think it's partly the public to come out and say, okay, we're not happy with these certain things. And actually, we need to start voting with our feet a little bit more if we're not. So when Facebook had the big crisis with Cambridge Analytica, there was a lot of people who temporarily stopped using the platform. And now in feedback, feedback studies, Facebook still suffers as a platform that people don't think that they can trust. And if that continues, then obviously usership is going to go down. And for the Facebook network, the, the product is the people. Facebook don't directly sell anything. There's no membership to join. But what they do sell is they sell to advertisers that users spend time on the platform. So that is effectively their big win, and it's how they make all of their money. So they will have to tighten up their regulation in line with what the market wants. But because it's so new and it's done all of these positive things for us, I don't think as a general public, we've quite decided exactly what we want those boundaries to be. Um, This iOS update is an interesting first step. And I do think Facebook and Instagram constantly try and do things to clean themselves up a little bit as well. So a good example of that is They've changed the names of like, I think it's now WhatsApp by Facebook and it's Instagram by Facebook. And the whole idea there was to give people a little bit more transparency because they did surveys and they showed that lots of people didn't actually know who the parent company was. So there will always be minor changes by the platforms because they see it in their long-term interest. It's just, are those interests the same as the people who are using it? Fundamentally, no, because I use the platforms and I don't make any money from it. Facebook makes a lot of money from it. And yeah, where is the line? I don't think anybody quite knows that yet. Yeah, I think that's also partly because even though it's, I mean, it's it's been around for a while now, it's it's fresh. It's still, you know, finding its feet in some regard, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I think if if you sent a team of 100 lawyers to Instagram's HQ tomorrow, I think they would start taking some notes about things that they didn't necessarily like about the practices. Um, yeah, that's that's not to say that they do anything wrong. Everything that they do at the minute is completely within the law. It's just that in some cases, 
the law hasn't caught up quick enough yeah. Um, to yeah what people actually want so i think i think the regulation around social media will get tighter over the next few years it's just a question of exactly where that goes and yeah how, you know, how it's, it becomes. it's funny a while ago we had actually a space lawyer on who said almost the exact same thing about space in fact it's you law has to come after innovation and the internet is constantly innovating and developing itself and the legislation has to catch up. Yeah, 100%. I think um, digital marketing is not necessarily as exciting as space law, but <laughs> the, the same principle applies for sure. Um, what would be some personality traits that you see in yourself and maybe some colleagues around you that you think really help you thrive in this uh, digital marketing world? Yeah, so I think numbers orientated is a huge, huge one. So I think the best benefit of these kind of roles and certainly my role as performance media is I can look at stats and be able to showcase just how good it is for the client. So if I told you tomorrow, I'm going to make your podcast five pounds back for every pound that I put in, it's a no brainer. Yes, you would you, yeah, you'd 100% <laughs> sign up and want to do it like better than the stock market. So having those ideas on numbers is really important because it shows you that you, yeah, you can you can look at little tests, you can look at these little details and improve by ten percent, and ultimately that has a huge, huge impact on people's bottom line. So I think that's definitely one. I also think that confidence and being able to chat to kind of like your clients in the right way is a really important one because sometimes you get people who are numbers orientated but they're not necessarily the best at being able to communicate them in the right way afterwards and actually being able to do both is gonna is gonna kind of rocket fuel your progress because you could have two people getting the exact same results of someone but if one can communicate it to their clients much better and they're spending more and they're doing more and it's ultimately leading to more growth for the brand then that one's going to leave the other the other person in the dust. So I would say that. I would say also it's a case of always being on and always having these ideas. So I love marketing because you're always a student of the game. I always see someone's ad and I go, damn, that's good. Like we have Instagram groups in our company. I have Instagram groups with my friends where they will send me like these good ads that they see and they, they just say, Rob, you'll love this. Like it's that simple. And yeah, literally, I think I think that's important that you can always you can always grow, you can always do better. And just seeing these little things that other people do is fascinating. And then when you replicate it, does that actually work for you? Or what can you see that they've done that actually if they've done this one other thing on top of it, it would have worked so so much better than that. So I think those would probably be my main three. It does vary per role, but I think I think marketing's a great role because you have to work with so many different elements of the business. Like you might be talking to the finance person about projections. You may be talking to um, the product team about what's coming up next. You may have to talk to the brand team about, cool, these are our ideas for the brand, but what can we do in marketing to really help growing in grow and take it to the next level so yeah i see marketing as quite a centralized role it's certainly not closed off so the better you are at dealing with numbers and talking about them the better you do i think 
So if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, oh, you know, I, I'd love to get into marketing and specifically maybe digital marketing, what are some of the things they can do to start standing out? Because we talk about this a lot on the podcast and we loads of different industries and we're sort of now starting to get the answers that CVs are becoming not redundant, but way, way, way less effective at getting your foot in the door. And, you know, artists, for example, have always done portfolios of their art. Um, uh, you know, people are being advised to create their own content on LinkedIn um, in any interests they have just to show some willing to to put some some of yourself out there and, and show what you're capable of. What can people do to stand out uh, when applying for marketing roles? Yeah, definitely. So creativity is absolutely the key. Like there was a guy who got a job at our place because he sent the CEO, he went for video editing, sent the CEO like a tailor-made video about exactly what he can do. And obviously it was overlaid with, yeah, some really great effects and stuff. So I've known people to send messenger pigeons into the CEO's uh, office with with their CV attached. So I mean, that's cool. (laughs) it's so good um i don't think they got the role actually but the idea is great like in terms of what a cv should actually do it should get your foot in the door and the more creative way that you can do that the better so i know for anyone listening to this like and it's say if you wanted a job kind of yeah in our company um in my team like find a way to cut through that isn't a cv or isn't a linkedin dm um and yeah we'll we'll be sure to see it and kind of know that your brain is in the right place if you're thinking of all of these creative ways. Um, For me, it was a case of getting data. So made some YouTube videos, got some success, got some like virality with them. And I was able to take those to my first publisher and literally be like, cool, this video's got 100k views or whatever it was. And like, look, I I understand marketing. I'm still learning my way. but I now can produce content that will, yeah, that will be a success for you. So that was the case for me. I think also there's certifications and training that you can get. I'm a firm believer as an employer, as you don't hire someone on the person they are now, you hire them on the person that they can become. Mm. Um, If you take some free training, so there's Facebook Blueprint for Facebook ads, there's the Google Ads Academy, to learn all about kind of Google's products and YouTube and Google shopping and elements like that. Um, you can take, it's not hard to Google as well and find digital marketers like Russell Brunson and Ty Lopez. Like they have free courses. They have slightly more advanced paid courses as well. So I would stack my CV if I didn't have any experience with all of these different courses that you're doing. Um, I've actually set myself a rule where I have to do at least 10 lessons of a course every weekend now. So I'm learning new elements of, yeah, for me, it's now CRO, um, which is something that I haven't done a huge amount of, but it's a huge interesting growth area for me. So that would be my advice to anybody listening, both think about how creative your application can be, but also load your CV with data and evidence. And I think that can really filter down anywhere on a CV. So on hobbies, for example, I know perhaps speaking to a recruiter or something it can be awkward when you don't know people but hobbies is a great way to talk about that so i know for me uh, i've done stand-up comedy that i've got a video that i can link to uh i like going for runs and stuff so i could link my strava and kind of prove it 
I like putting content out there on LinkedIn. I can put my LinkedIn bio and say like, come join in the marketing chats. And those are little things that your competition likely won't be doing, but it helps you get a foot in the door um, and brings out more of your personality. So the CV isn't completely dead. There's ways you can do to improve it, but I would think as a marketer, what is the most creative thing that I can do to get myself in front of, yeah, these people, this company, um, because that's going to make you stand out and it should in many ways make you skip the queue of the CV. Like realistically, I know I've known companies who get a thousand applicants via a CV and end up purely for time's sake having to throw half of them in the bin. Um, wow. And literally that can be done just through literally putting the stack in half. So, and then they trust that within the 500 candidates or whatever they've got left, they'll find someone who's suitable. So yeah, a CV is not completely dead. I think, I hope I've mentioned a couple of ways that you can improve it, but as a passionate, curious marketer, I would be looking at ways, yeah, you can you can try and skip that queue. Mm. And for you, what would be the biggest positive or opportunity you've had so far in the career? So I would say my biggest opportunity is this one. Like I'm very, very lucky that within six years of marketing, I'm now a head of department. So head of digital marketing. So very grateful for that. I think um, it's come with hard work. It's come with like the odd long hours and stuff, but it's, it's a great position to be able to put on your LinkedIn and things like that. And I think, again, uh, a way digital marketing works is when you update your jobs, on title on LinkedIn, and then you go back on the job section, suddenly all of the careers I now look at are head of or head of growth, maybe head of digital. So yeah, you kind of move past the marketing manager or whatever the position was before. So I'm super grateful to be in the position that I am now. I think with working for Genflow, company I work with, you get to meet some great inspiring people. So I think that's a massive positive. Um, but I would say overall for digital marketing is the amount of freedom that you get because it's an area where, uh, and no offense to people, but people don't get it necessarily. Like people don't understand how to start a Facebook campaign or a Google shopping campaign or whatever it is. That gives you a little bit more freedom. It means, okay, the CEO or whoever your boss is might say, okay, I need this, but actually I'll let the creative freedom and the strategy completely up to you because you know it better than I do. So. I think that's been a positive of the industry fully for me, but I think that actually goes as wider career advice from me to anyone looking to start out is learn skills that people don't know, other people don't know, because you'll progress a lot faster um, and you'll be given a lot more freedom in your job and ultimately your life as well. Once you learn those, you'll get likely a higher pay packet, you'll get more freedom in your work. Um, so yeah, be become the person that people have to rely on because they don't know how to do it. And what would be some uh, less favorable aspects of this industry you've discovered? Um, I would say recently it's more consciousness. So you find out the odd thing that, yeah, it's, it's not always nice. You don't always go home thinking that you're a good person. So as an example of that, um, Instagram has led to basically there's a direct correlation between when um, teenagers started getting Instagram and their um, suicide rates. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's the be all and end of call, but there is 
a certain element of social responsibility that these platforms need to take. And yeah, working in it almost fuels it a little bit. Like I appreciate I'm one of millions, but um, stuff like that doesn't always necessarily make you feel good. Um, and then I guess the other negative would be that you're not, there's no off switch. Like it's 100% something I had to learn was how do I turn off? Because there's always something more that I can do. There's always more one more test that you can run or there's always one more request. So I think as you get a bit older and you get a bit more experience, you write your to-do list and you can say bye at the end of the day, but your mind still whirls of, oh, did I, did I leave this add-on or what's the next thing that I can do to this campaign strategy to take it to the next level? So I personally don't mind it. I quite enjoy it. I like having problems to solve, but it's a negative that would put some people off for sure. I suppose you can't even uh, switch off by going on Facebook because then you're just doing research at the end of the day or something, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, look, I found, I think lockdown's actually been really useful for me because I've found other ways to chill and relax. Like I, I've taken up something like reading, like I'll actually set an alarm and I'll say, okay, 30, 45 minutes, no phone, no nothing, and just start reading. So that's actually really interesting and a great way to switch off. But um, yeah, definitely when you see your phones going with notifications, I think one thing that people don't realize not working in the industry is just how many notifications you get on the likes of Instagram when, or Facebook when you're linked to the pages and you can see everyone commenting on something. Um, you're basically asking for your phone to be blowing up at all times and you can mute some of them, but there's certain ones that you can't. So. Yeah, you, you're you're setting yourself up for a life of uh, always on, I would say. So we like to talk a little about uh, salary expectations. So we go away, find some average figures and see if you would agree with them. Yeah. Um, and so for a beginning sort of junior role um, in digital marketing, you're apparently you're looking between 18 and about 24,000. Um, and then a, a medium sort of experience, you're looking at about 30,000, obviously goes up from there. Yeah, so I think that's not unfair. I think there's slight biases. So I would say, for example, if you're on £18,000 in London, um, yeah, you'd probably be on the higher end of that starting scale, but it, it sounds pretty reasonable. I think the good thing is in digital marketing, even if you're starting out at like 20000 within two years, yeah, 30000 is not unattainable. Within four, it's kind of the next bracket of forty to fifty. Um, and yeah, you can kind of scale up pretty quickly, provided yeah you're getting the results to do so. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't think the salaries you've mentioned there are unfair. It's pretty in line with the market. Um, but I would say you don't necessarily have to chase the money when you're starting out. Like a little bit more money is always a good thing. But take the take the internship, take the placement. Like for me, um, my placement year was seventeen and a half thousand. Um, I did a three-month internship after university that I think was 18 or maybe 18 and a half. Um, but from there, like my next job was 24K. So it grew and it scaled, scaled pretty quickly. Um, you just have to take the risk to let it. Um, and to do that, it's all about getting results and things that you can actually maybe put on your CV because nothing looks more impressive than... There, there's two types of CV I see. There's one which kind of says, I looked after and I managed this client and this client and they may name drop, but 
that's ultimately not that exciting because there's a lot of people who work for these big brands. But the ones I'm always super impressed by are the ones who go, I spent £10,000, I made back £60,000 to my clients. Like those are the ones that really stand out. So find the right company with the right training packages and the right amount of responsibility for you. But once you find them, like, yeah, I think, I think you can really progress fast in digital marketing. And is a, is a degree a must for this industry or can you go in, um, maybe there's apprenticeships you can do, or maybe you don't even need a degree to get in if you can prove um, you're, you're savvy on social media, maybe? Definitely. So it's not a regret because I really enjoyed my time at university. I just wish that in elements of my free time, I'd done better things with them, to be completely honest with you. I think a lot of uni students will say the same. Yeah, yep. yeah 100%. <laughs> and you enjoy it. So yeah, you can't, you can't look back too cynically. But marketing, like I say, said earlier with some of the training courses, those are that there are training courses out there that you should 100% be taking up and learning these things because realistically, you don't need a degree. It does differ from employer to employer. So again, when I said I worked at one of the big agencies, they did actually require that you have a degree, but it was almost, that was almost part of them narrowing down their candidate selection process rather than it was actually useful for the candidates to have the business or the marketing degree. So it's 100% not essential. You just may have to change the type of company that you're applying for if you don't get a degree. So you may not be able to enter some of the bigger firms. You may have to look more at getting a intermediate role at a smaller firm and then join the bigger firm. So it's adjustable. There's lots of options out there, but get the courses, get the interest to be super clear that you know marketing, you understand it, you want to do it in your spare time because then of course you want to do it for a job. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say a degree is essential. And uh, what would be something that's not in the job description that you have to deal with? Oh, it's a good question. I think it, it depends exactly what you do, but I think a lot of dealing with clients for any agency work, really, it doesn't necessarily go in the job description, but you work around them. So I have clients in the US or Canada, and obviously they're a completely different time zone, time scale. So it's something you probably don't realize at the time, but if they WhatsApp you or whatever, uh, I don't know, it might be 3 p.m. for them, but it's a completely different time for you. So I would say that's part of it. Um, and there's, there's always elements. So I love marketers. And for me, myself, I always love growing outside what my traditional job description said. Like when I started here, it was with a prerogative to grow Facebook and Instagram as channels and also our YouTube offering. Um, since then it's grown on to like app store ads and I now do push notification marketing. I've now made a regular thing of our email marketing for our clients. So there is no real end to the possibilities. You've just got to find an employer and a job that allows you to try all of those different things. So yeah, I would say you can always take on more and it's just about finding what's realistic and right for you. So, uh, so what's your number one tip for uh, Instagram at the moment for anyone listening and trying to sort of build their content there? Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's a little bit obvious, but you'd be surprised how many people don't do it. And it's to give value and unique value. There's this horrible almost paradox in this, in that 
how can I be telling you to create something unique and valuable, but then not giving you an example? And the problem is I can't, because if I give you an example, like, I mean, I, I should be doing it myself. Um, but yeah, that's what, that's what I would look at. So like we work with a lot of clients in the fitness industry and the ones who always do best are the ones who have a slightly different take on things. So as an example, I know the macronutrient world is incredibly underserved at the minute like people don't properly know how to explain it and talk about it so yeah people who start nailing that and have a clear action plan for that do really really well in the content because yeah they can they can talk about something that others can't so find your specific niche the way to build value and as i said with it becoming a a vast creator economy world you'd be surprised how niche these things are. Like there will always be someone interested in something. Um, so yeah, it's just finding those people, speaking to those people, and you'll really gain an authority with people and start getting more likes, more shares, more comments. Once you show that you're knowledgeable and you've given that free value, that law of reciprocacy that we were talking about earlier. And uh, would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? So yeah, I would, um, I can't lie, like it's been good to me. Like, I think it's given me opportunities um, like this, like this is a fantastic opportunity. And I thank you guys for having me on. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's where marketing is exciting. Like me personally, I try and put a few things out on LinkedIn and I get inboxes for freelance work now or um, yeah, like new job opportunities. Not that I'm taking them at the minute, but it's exciting to see what could be a possibility. So I think I've learned, I've learned a lot about business, about life, about myself in the industry, and I wouldn't necessarily change that. I think where it will become interesting for me personally is, is it in five years or is it in 10 years, the thing that I still want to do? Because I do think there are careers like a lawyer, like a scientist, something like that, where you learn so much, like you learn ridiculous amounts. And I think as a marketer, you've got to be obsessed with learning, but there may be a limit to it, whereas certain other areas are a little bit more broad and you might learn more. So for now, I'm very happy. Um, I, yeah, I'm thankful for all of the opportunities that I've been given with that. Um, but yeah, I couldn't promise that that would be the case in 10 years time. So anyone listening to this, I would, uh, can, can you swear? Yeah, you can. <laughs> um, yeah, I would throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> um, honestly, try as many things as possible. Um, like, there, there's absolutely no problem with doing this and then wanting to go be a realtor or a lawyer or a yeah a zookeeper. Like, honestly, go try things. Go do what you want to. I think digital marketing is an excellent place to potentially start because you learn so much about all of these different other industries. Like I've, I've had clients in absolutely all sorts. I've had clients in food delivery. I've had clients in homeware and hardware. Uh, I've had ones in fashion, fitness, like absolutely all kinds of things. So I've seen things that I never thought I would learn. But um, yeah, like that, that may not always be the case. So find something that aligns with your interest, but give as many things as a go as possible. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Rob. It's been, uh, been super interesting.
Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I apologize. I've kind of just word vomited at you for about an hour. No, great. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm I'm not the geek of marketing like Dan is, but I've actually been oddly fascinated with it more than I expected to. So thank you so much for um for for sharing your information. Uh, where can people find you if they wanted to talk or see what you're up to? Yeah, sure. So um, I would recommend that you head to my LinkedIn. Um, so that is just Rob Saunders Marketing. You can like put that in when you put in the URL. So I try and share. I'm on a cycle now of posting at least three times a week. So it's talking about great ads, I see. It's talking about kind of like the workplace more generally and stuff as well. So I definitely recommend that. That's my major platform. Um, I'm also, so I've actually just finished the first draft, but I'm also looking to release a book this year, um, talking about all aspects of marketing and kind of cool. opportunities that you can take as an individual, as a business to kind of really kill it there. I think. What I'd love to do with that is show people what an opportunity it is for them. Um, so yeah, hopefully in three or four months' time, uh, yeah, you'll be seeing a book on marketing by Rob Saunders. Wow. Well, thank you. Best of luck with that one. Cheers, Rob. Yeah, thank you very much.